Hi, I'm Jules Hamilton, and this is the Good Summer Podcast, Keeping It Good. It's a chance for all of us to hear stories of people making a positive change in the world. The Good Summit is a space of gathering to celebrate common good in the world and to cultivate more of it. Join the Tribe of Good by signing up to our mailing list at thegoodsummit.com and learn where our latest gatherings are taking place, who is going to be there and how you can get involved. Help us help you make the world a better place. Today on Keeping It Good, Professor Luke O'Neill is one of Ireland's leading and most popular scientists, currently helping the country through the trials and tribulations of a global pandemic. With a scientific specialism in immunology, Luke has been front and centre in educating the general public around the coronavirus and in what we need to do in order to move through and beyond this crisis. You might say Luke has been bringing sexy back to science. As a highly sought-after science educator and media spokesman, Luke has a down-to-earth way in making scientific exploration enjoyable and also good for the world. He holds membership of the prestigious Royal Irish Academy and is also a Fellow of the Royal Society, alongside the likes of Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein and Charles Darwin. Luke is the best-selling author of Humanology, A Scientist's Guide to Our Existence, and also Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Science. His other passion is the Metabolics, his much-loved rock cover band. We are honoured and delighted that Luke is one of our patrons at the Good Summit, making him a regular feature in our work. We could chat with him all day. Enjoy and be inspired. Professor Luke O'Neill, welcome to the Good Summer podcast. Wonderful to see you. Thank you, Jules. Good to see you too. Uh, You have been, sir, a very busy man recently. It's almost like you made immunology sexy over the last year uh, in Ireland. Look, there was was a while, sir, where every radio programme and every TV show of note whenever this global pandemic started, uh, you were one of only two or three people who, who received the phone call. Can I ask you, what's it like all of a sudden to be the, the, the science educationist for the, for the nation. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that fair? Is that what happened? Well, it's like science communication on steroids. Is that the phrase you use in a sense? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it, in a way? It's a bit surreal and a bit sort of bedeviling, I suppose, is one word you might use, because I was doing it before, as you know, uh, maybe oh, yeah. once a week kind of territory, right? Yeah. And then when my books came out before all this, there was a fair bit of media around that. So I, I, did have, I did have periods when it was a little bit more intense. That's something of that way. But good God, you're right. It's, it's staggering. Now, the, the, good part, the good part is it, it can be the same thing over and over again, in a sense. In other words, I'm asked my opinion for a week or two on the latest break and stuff. That makes it a bit easier. It's not as if I've got to prep it all the time, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And the second thing is the new stuff comes in. I mean, even yesterday, every day, there's new science to talk about. So it's very sort of um, stimulating and that, from that point of view. The only issue for me is it's hours in the day, in a sense, because obviously I've got many jobs, haven't I? And, uh, but I do, I, I also would say it's a privilege to be asked because, you know, it's great to be able to get up there and explain stuff to people. And I got an awful lot of um, 
warmth and, and, and sort of uh, gratitude back, which is nice, you know, so that's quite good as well. So yeah. in other words, if I wasn't good at it and I wasn't, I wasn't making a difference, I wouldn't do it, would I? You know, so, so yeah. well, 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 do you know what? Here's, here's one of the things, and we've become friends over the years. Here's one of the things that I really like about you, Luke, is that with respect to all of our colleagues in Trinity College and other universities around the world, it's not every scientist who is able to put science into English that, that people like me can understand. And so actually, it, you know, it's nice of you to kind of make it seem easy there, but it's not. Let, let, let me give you an example. I've been on some ethics committees with scientists over the years. Yeah. And I'm I'm what they call the lay person. Yeah. And the lay person's role is so much fun. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, my background is a church person. So whenever yeah. we talk about the laity, we talk about the normal folks. Yeah. Everybody else. So to all of a sudden become the laity in science yeah. world was really quite something for me. But but what I discovered was like sitting in some meetings having to read a paper or a yeah. paragraph and having the scientists turn around and, and say, you know, is is this understandable? Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah. And have some of them just look at me with a wee grin on their face going, you have no idea yeah. Yeah. what we're talking You know, so actually it's a real skill and it's so important for men and women of science to be able to like communicate that in a real way. Why? Why do you think... Like, is that something you had to learn to do? Is it something that you've just been natural at? Yeah, I think from teaching to do initially, actually. So when I began teaching in Trinity, when you've got a bunch of 18-year-olds who don't know any biology, you've got to pitch it to them, haven't you, and make it interesting and make it understandable. So I began with that really, I suppose. And then, and then I've always liked the communication. I've always liked giving, like, scientific talks as well to a specialised audience. You've got to make it clear for them as well, you know, and have good diagrams and summary slides so I'm, I think I had a bit of a knack for it early on I guess remember in London when I was doing my PhD I was asked to give some lectures in UCL and I really enjoyed it you know and I prepared them carefully and that's my first sense of oh I might be quite good at this and that led me down the road of being an academic part because because we are teachers as well as you know so I began with that I think it, can you learn it you, you can certainly learn it but people people have it naturally and you and the more in your own business you know, when you get up and you uh, you speak to a congregation or whatever some are natural, aren't they? You know, yeah. some can learn it. I think you have to have a knack. Though. I think there's probably something from your background or when you were growing up, you picked up these skills. In other words, if you find it hard, it's going to be an uphill battle. Let's put it that way, you know. And, and you in particular, I suppose, over the years have used so much humour. And I, I, I think that's just because you're a naturally affable person. There's not a lot that seems to really knock you or, or yeah. pick you off your stride, but... Well, but, it's a great way to communicate to you. It's the other yeah. joke. Doesn't it help? Well, listen, I, I've been sitting in lecture theatres where you've been uh, giving a lecture and you're about to mention the non-existence of God or something like that. <laughs> and, and you'll say, okay, I know Jules is here. Sorry, That's Jules. Fine. Ignore exactly. the next four minutes or something like that. <laughs> I remember that. we were That was the what is life thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. I yeah. singled you out in the audience. Yeah, You've right. said it more than once. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us this. In terms of science education and particularly like it's been a big year for science and um, what what are the things that are you may, you might be most proud of at the minute over the last 12 months and the role yeah. that science has positively played in, in this global pandemic well it's been great to us that so many of us were asked onto the media i mean it's obvious in a way but but i, I know friends in other countries are saying ireland's doing great with this in other words every night there's a scientist on the news really you know or on prime time or on 
radio. It's incredible, isn't it? And as you've said, there's probably six or seven of us that do it now. And that's quite remarkable for a country. And I think it, it, it's a testament to public service broadcasting in a way, you know, to get these independent voices. Like I'm not tied into any government thing. You know, I'm an independent. Yeah. So, so to get independent voices is really important. And of yeah. course, there's a massive appetite. They're not stupid. They, they know the listeners want this as well. And I think what, 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 what's really impressive to me is we're, we're, t- we're able to tell the general public what science is in the broadest sense. I mean, it's, it's a perfect opportunity in a way. This is a big emergency. People are frightened. They're anxious. They're all listening. I mean, talk about getting out. Like before the COVID thing ever happened to you, is if I was at a party, a dinner party, and someone was unfortunate to be sitting beside me, within a minute, their eyes are going to glaze over when I miss the immune system. Now they're, what the hell is that? You know? so, so I think, I think it's natural that there will be that appetite for like this. And then hopefully we're, we're doing a good job. I mean, I think, I think you're right. You, you want to make sure that people are being clear uh, now, I, I lean towards the more optimistic view of science, and I, I'm always trying to give them people a bit of hope, I suppose, because it's so important, especially now, when, when people are suffering, especially this, this um, current period. I mean, it's really tough for people. So, and there is always a positive aspect to every science story. And even if there's a negative, like one example would be two drug companies, Merck and Sanofi, failed in their attempts to make vaccines. Now, if I made that the headline and then stopped talking, you've left the audience devastated. Yeah. I'd say, but on the other hand, AstraZeneca vaccine that looks a bit better and then it's a way to do it you know it's a way to keep people sort of engaged and also to give them a bit of a bit of a hopeful perspective on things which I think is just so important you know so I guess that aspect I think it stands out for me and, and many of us are trying to do that you know and so what is it particularly over the last year that has made you as a scientist go wow like well, was there things that you thought we couldn't do or wouldn't happen or yeah well, people have often said to me, how come I'm so optimistic, which I have been from the start of this. It's because I knew science would win. I mean, I, I know all the people in the vaccine business, many of the companies, friends of mine are working for them, for instance, and other superb immunologists all around the world. And I knew if they put their mind to it quickly, we would get out of this. It was just a matter of when. Now, we're still not out of it, by the way. We're still in the thick of it. Oh, yeah. I, but I'm still very optimistic. I know we're going to get there through science. It just drags a bit. You know, I wish I could wave a magic wand. That it all happened now. And the specific example has to be the vaccines. I mean, that's spectacular. Yeah. To go from a virus that was unknown to humankind in January of 2020, and by November, a vaccine is approved, is absolutely stunning and remarkable. And a testament to thousands and thousands of people, remember, behind this. It takes an awful lot of people to make a vaccine, that, that all these different aspects are done. You know? So to me, that's the biggest triumph of all, because we, if that hadn't happened yet, that's what I said, James. If we didn't have the vaccine, can you imagine the level of stress we'd be in now, the level of anxiety, oh, wow. the level of fear? So that, even if it's just beginning, it gives people something. You know? So that probably, scientifically, that stands out as a triumph. And I can't explain to you how complicated and difficult scientifically an achievement it is. I mean, it's really difficult to get there. It's a bit like uh, okay, let's okay, shoot so, from Mars and now we've landed, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Um, you're so right. You could not explain it to me in ways that I could understand. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't. I did. I did. Uh, I, I dropped almost all the sciences at, at the earliest opportunity. Yeah. I think I got a C in GCSE biology and that, that was the best. I had a really interesting physics uh, teacher look and right. I, I only had to do one year of that in school because I still remember his, his joke whenever a book or a pen fell off the table, he would look at us and go, leave it. 
it won't fall any further. <laughs> and this was, that, that was the kind of level of science. So, you know, yeah, how people get taught yeah, is, is exactly. absolutely massive. Um, what uh, I love, that, that it sounds like, even in your voice, it sounds like you're amazed at, at how things have happened in this last year. How do you think the science world is going to continue with this vein of, of hope and yes, we can, for want of a yeah. better phrase. Is the science world changing in how it views itself? I, I hope so, Jules. I mean, what, what strikes me is this, is the, the dreaded uh, cliche, two heads are better than one. Mm. So what we've learned from this is collaboration is key. You know, wow. this is some really? person in, in his shed at the back of his garden banging on a piece of wood and trying to make something. It's a very collaborative effort. You need an awful lot of different people to work together. And we wouldn't have got to these vaccines with a massive collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we're seeing it. I mean, a big surprise wow. to me is, no, so the big vaccines made by Pfizer, as you know, the company Pfizer, but a company mm-hmm. called BioNTech, they're a German company. Now, Novartis and Sanofi are opening up their factories to make that Pfizer vaccine. Isn't that incredible? So it's a bit like Pepsi goes, we'll make some oh, Coke. Yeah, products. sorry. So, so, so these are, are competing drug competing companies. Manufacturers, yeah, big, wow. Big drug companies who are, who are like daggers drawn, usually remember the marketplace. And yeah. They're yeah. Rooms on. And now one of them is going to turn one of their factories over to make their rivals vaccine. Now, again, that illustrates the level of, 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 um, of the emergency, I suppose, we're in, first of all, that provokes that kind of collaboration. But equally, the, the general sort of a spirit of let's get this done together. So, and now if we now fast forward, uh, you would hope to see collaboration being a feature of all these companies from now on because it's worked in this case, you know? Nice. And they can share the spoils. I mean, obviously there's a commercial part to this. So, so why would Pfizer give half its money to Novartis or whatever it is? But, but they realize this is a good thing to do. First of all, it's a good thing to do for humanity. Secondly, they'll be paid. I bet they'll be renting their factory. It has to be a commercial element, doesn't there? There's not... You know, it wouldn't be for nothing, I suppose. So, but still, I, I think and my hope is that what we learn from COVID is that collaboration is the key to trying to crack very serious big problems in society that are medical in this regard anyway, the medical issues. Well, look, if we begin, if that's part of the scientific outlook and part of the scientific learning, that collaboration um, is important and that we are, in fact, better together. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're back into the heart of what the Good Summit stands yeah. for. Yeah, you know, exactly. that, that fundamental understanding that humanity is better whenever we're doing stuff and yeah. things and working together and playing together and learning yeah. together. And that's right. I love that you're, you're, you're talking about the world of science that, that, that's doing that. I remember speaking at an all-girls school in Melbourne, Australia, maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago now. And I was asked, you know, they have, they have a, one assembly a week and it's a big thing they were there for about an hour an hour and a half and they have a a guest or two and so I was asked to go and do the the spiritual slot I was asked to go and give a reflection a little brief homily I believe they would call it in most of Ireland Uh, and there was there was a professor there um who was an astrophysicist so I'm introduced to this astrophysicist and you have this man of faith and religion and you have the astrophysicist and they're just kind of polite to each other. Actually, it was, his name was, was uh, Flavio Meller or Fulvio Meller right. uh, from Arizona. Quite a, quite a well-known astrophysicist, I believe. Yeah. 
Um, lovely guy. He had the hair for an astrophysicist, I remember. But anyway, uh, 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 you know, a, a school, a, a, an assembly school full, um, and I get up and I talk about Moses uh, yeah, for, for yeah. about 10 minutes. And I, re- I remember being deliberately coy, trying to not say anything that a scientist would have a problem with. And yeah. I, actually, I, I remember trying to, not tread carefully, but trying to talk about truth in, in a slightly wider fashion. And then whenever this professor of astrophysics got up, he said, good morning, it's nice to be here. I'm Fluvio Meller. I'm, I'm from an astrophysicist from the Arizona State University. And I'm here to talk about how we got here, not why we got here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which I thought was a gorgeous Great line. mode yes. to, to, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Yeah. And so yeah. whenever I hear people like you say actually one of the things that science is learning is, is that we're better whenever we collaborate whenever yeah. humans come at things together there's something more than science going on there there is yeah although that's <laughs> those two phrases capture the two magisteriums they were called by Stephen Jay Gould you know so yeah. science is inclined to ask the question how whereas religion in the broader sense is the question why, you know, and that's a really good distinction. Actually. You know, they overlap though, remember, because scientists wonder about both things, you know, in a way. But you're quite right though. I mean, I think what strikes me as well about all this is, it's human beings, isn't it? No more than it is. It is. How do human beings operate and interact and, 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 and it's always better if you put two heads together to try and solve a problem. I, science is no different, you know? I, I, I think... Probably, and I'm getting quite old now, but I think maybe in my 20s, which is a while ago, um, there was a little shift in how science spoke about itself and about the world. Yep. And, you know, for science to start using words like wonder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that wasn't my childhood. That wasn't, that wasn't even 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. You know, science just, and for, you know, explain, explain this phrase to me. I might be wrong. Has science got more humble? Well, as we were discussing yesterday. Yeah. Well, your, your, your book has something about this in it, does it not? Yeah. You this book. Well, humanity is a wonderful trait for humans, isn't it, Jules? Now, the trouble is, if you're too, if you're too humble, you mightn't do things. That's one issue, maybe. In other words, you've got you to be able to have a bit of confidence and a bit of yeah. you know, get stuck in yeah. there. Maybe that's the counter side to that. But uh, has it got more humble? I think it's very important for scientists to be humble and say we don't know certain things. Yeah. Yeah, because absolutely. if you don't say that, in my opinion, you lose credibility. And in fact, I've noticed with this COVID business, if I'm asked a question and I don't know, people actually are not quite relieved, but they realise then there are things we don't know. Science, science can't answer everything. Let's put it that way. And secondly, there are big challenges to try and crack, and we're not there yet with some of these questions. Yeah. And in my opinion, it's very important to get that message out to the general public. Absolutely. Because, because they, they don't understand we're all in this together. I, I haven't yeah. got all the answers, nor have you. I'm going to try and find some answers. I'm going to explain to you my deficiencies here and what we're trying to address in terms of, you know, uh, overcome those deficiencies to get a scientific solution here. So I think it makes it more human. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think probably certainly my discipline, my background of faith is at its worst whenever it it says, I have the truth and all of it. And I'll tell you what it is. Exactly. But then you've got a problem. But you don't want to lose people's confidence in you either. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's, 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 it's a double-edged sword. In do, a way. Do, do, do you know what? I, I don't mind people losing confidence in me, Look, I would hate people losing confidence in the unknown. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I would love, I, I would hate if people lose confidence in what lies beyond us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by, by any sort of, you know, any male or female in, in religious leadership. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, Every, you know, science maybe does the same. We got to point beyond ourselves. Yeah. We got to point to something more than we know. Science is like, this is more than we know right now. Exactly. Religion maybe is coming, you know, there's always going to be more than, than we know. Very true. And, and, yeah. and let's dive into that area. Exactly. Um, this podcast is proudly supported by the amazing folks at Thought Collective a team of designers and developers who create brands and digital products to captivate the crowd and communicate effectively. They make the Good Summit look great. Check them out at www.thoughtcollective.com. Shifting tack a little bit, you, you know, you're an eminent scientist, you're a fellow of the, the Royal Society, um, you can tell us that story if you, if, if, if you want to, but certainly becoming a fellow of the Royal Society, look, is, is, a, is a massive thing. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, what has motivated you? You know, what do you say to young scientists now in your lab? What, what drives you and keeps you going in, in this good work that you're doing? It's very simple, Jews. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. No, what do you <laughs> Um, the prime, the prime. I, I, I've danced with your band. Look, you I've have. stood in front of you and boogied away. Yeah. I know about the rock and roll. We were drinking pints. That's the drug part. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but the uh, the prime directive, if you will, about that's there's a Star Trek phrase in a way. Yeah. If you're a scientist, is just to be curious and, mm-hmm. and to ask questions to try and answer them. And and science is very good at trying to solve problems that are tractable. Let's put it that way. You know. So so the, the key motivator is to satisfy this desire to uh, answer a problem or, or problem solve or get an insight into some phenomenon, natural phenomenon. Now, that's number one. And that turns us scientists on. So, so when, when you become a scientist, you enjoy learning stuff because you have to, have, you have to be a scholar. You know, you got you to read all the immunology and do your degree and, and that has to get you going. And you got, you got to get, I'm, for some reason, I picked immunology. I don't quite know why, but, but that suddenly becomes your thing, you know. And then when you make a discovery yourself, that, that, that's the big first moment. The first time I made a discovery during my PhD, I'll never forget it because it was like a, like a bolt of lightning. You know? wow. Wow. I saw, I discovered a little scientific fact. Your next step then is if it's true, getting back to that word earlier. Now, what yeah. does truth mean in science? It largely means someone else can repeat your work. You know? yeah. Yeah. We, we, use this, we, we use this word re- reproducibility. So someone in New York or Japan or Australia they reproduce my work, and then, then you know it's really true. It could be something to do with the, the air conditioning in your building gave that result. You know, it's not, a, not necessarily universal. You're, look, you're looking yeah. for a universal, actually, to be honest, you're looking for a universal truth, if I can use that word scientifically, you know. Yeah, yeah. In other words, gravity is always there, you know, wherever, wherever, you know. And, and that was Newton's great achievement. So his equations were true, you know, they were empirically true. So, so, so once you make discoveries, then that really satisfies that curiosity thing, right? Yeah. And that's the first thing that would motivate you, trying to you know, come up with a problem and trying to solve it. The second big thing, though, is for me personally, I could never have been an astronomer, getting back to that discipline. Now, I'm not knocking them. They're great scientists. But, <laughs> but I don't really care how far away that galaxy is. You know? um, <laughs> but if my discovery might help make a new medicine to treat a disease, that, that's yeah. a real add-on for me, you know, because that, that, that makes the, the work uh, even more compelling, I suppose. So I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of scientist... Who, who likes to solve things and just do science. 
but I'm also the kind of scientist who likes the, the appliance of science, we say. Uh-huh. That, that seems to give it more meaning for me, you know, personally. Without that, I, I wonder if it's slightly more empty. Now, I'm not knocking human knowledge and enlightenment and all those things are great. The science is actually about enlightenment anyway, ultimately. Um, but if you can apply it to help your fellow humans, I know it sounds very grandiose, that's the add-on to me, you know. Doesn't sound grandiose at all. Look, it sounds it sounds exactly why we love you at the Good Summit and why you have been so good with us over the last few years getting connected and why actually, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure whether we've made it public knowledge, but but Professor O'Neill has agreed to be a patron of the Good Summit, which we're very happy to be delighted about. And, and you can hear why whenever he talks about science being good for humans and good for the world. Um, Luke, is there, are there ways in which you see science developing at, at the minute? Well, here, no, let me wind that question back and ask it like this. Um, the Good Summit wants to believe in and help create a better world. Yep. Uh, what ways are you seeing science uh, help with that conversation how you know how, how do we connect the good summit and science what are some of the best things happening that yeah. are handling some of the biggest human problems well as you and i have discussed in the past i'm sure it's no coincidence many miracles are about curing people of illness is it still in a sense now it is a way to reveal divinity indeed but there's our suffering i mean i mean you know the amount of suffering in the world because of ill health has started that as a, as a concept in a way and it's often down to social inequity is the reason for all this ill health. It isn't just about someone, you know, say, having a lifestyle choice necessarily, or an awful lot of ill health is just inequality. And we know this, don't we? Know, you know, this is a well, well-known thing, as you know, with the various gates found and all that sort of stuff. So, so, the, so, so I think that the biggest contribution us scientists can make is to enhance life for human beings on Earth. And one is if someone gets sick, you give them a medicine or it stops from getting sick in the first place, preventive stuff as well. That's a huge goal for the, for the planet, let's face it, isn't it? So, so for my own specialty, that's number one. Now, yeah. the, the, again, if the profit motive is driving it, that may not be the way to do it, you know. Mm. And getting back to that idea, now, 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 now the pharma sector is a business, so it has to have a profit motive, of course it does. But what we're learning through COVID, having the profit motive isn't sufficient to, to crack a problem, you know. Hence the need to collaborate and talk to each other and bring in academics and all that. Now, most big pharma know this, by the way, and I've worked with them for years. They, they do bring us in to help them in various ways, you know. But I'm wondering, is there going to be a shift now? And a great line I saw recently, too, is, you know, the big industries kind of all lost credibility, like big oil. That was a big problem, for instance, you know. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the last remaining ones is big pharma. Yeah. And, and that has come under pressure in all kinds of ways as we know but now is the chance for big pharma to show it probably could be one of the more ethical businesses out there because it's 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 it's, it's motive should be to deal with these diseases that are affecting humanity and we're talking infectious diseases in spades of course we are wouldn't one great um uh, consequence of covid would be a vaccine for malaria for instance that'd be tremendous mm. relieving right. suffering in the developing world for instance you know in fact uh, the medical interventions as you well know, uh, over history, have had some of the biggest impact. So as soon as sanitation came in, a simple thing like giving people clean water, massive effect on human health. You know, so, so there doesn't have to be any fancy technology here either. But certainly um, our knowledge, the other thing I'd say is, the great thrill for me personally is seeing how much discoveries happen in, say, 30 years. Okay, We know a huge amount about the human immune system, the health and disease. 
just scientific knowledge, just curiosity. How does the immune system work? Can I get the component parts? Can I fix one if one of those parts is broken? And that deployment of knowledge will result, without doubt, Jules, by the way, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, treatments for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, motor neuron disease, you know, and then beyond those into infections like malaria, HIV, all of these, here's my great phrase that I gave recently, all of these will fall to our sword, eventually, you know, because we'll deploy this knowledge. Now, can you imagine the beneficial effect that will have on people? You know, it'll be tremendous. It'll relieve a huge amount of human suffering. And, and surely that's what, you know, it's all about in the end, isn't it? Now, now even outside the medical arena, science can help human suffering in lots of other ways as well. You know, it can be through technology. It can be through uh, social inclusion. I mean, you know, the malign influence of social media, sadly, that should have been a huge boon to humanity, shouldn't it really? But that's been a bit tricky. So, so again, these things are always a bit of a work in progress, you know, and, and it's almost as if every time science makes a discovery or makes a contribution, someone's going to screw it up <laughs> or exploit it, you know, or something, you know. So we've got to keep an eye on that type kind of thing as well. But there, there's a few uh, ideas there for you. Know, so. Love it. Loving your, loving your words, loving your thoughts. It strikes me that there is a really interesting interplay between what science is achieving and maybe what science is becoming. Because if we take, for example, the vaccination of the developing world, whereby, as you've explained very well to me, uh, we could, um, on these islands and and around Europe, have a very successful vaccination program, but in a globalized world where people movement is so easy, that then actually the problem will be, you know, unless we want to just keep ourselves to ourselves yeah. and keep everybody outside of our countries, yeah. which is never going to be the world again, right. then actually it's the developing world that need perhaps even yeah. more attention and, and resource put into vaccination. Right. Yeah, exactly. Programs. Yeah. And in fact, this, medicine always has this, I said this, you know, medicine always has this strange blend of greed and altruism in a way, you know, because, you know, um, and, and it's because the, the whole pharma and the drug business is, is they are businesses and that comes into that frame, right? But there's a great thing about the developing world now in COVID because um, they've done, I think it's Forbes or someone, one of the big uh, opinion things that you read, you know, they've done an analysis. If we don't vaccinate the developing world against this virus, it will cost the developed economies trillions and trillions of dollars. For, for a couple of reasons. First, the risk of reintroduction of the infection back into difficulties with, you know, the lockdowns and all the rest of it, which is a massive economic hit, as we know. And that's one reason, right? But the second is the supply chain. Many of these developing countries are making stuff for the developed world to use in their businesses. And if that gets cut off because of illness, that threatens businesses in the West and in the developed world as well. Wow. And we're talking, I think one estimate is 13 trillion is one projection wow. if we don't vaccinate. So in other words, we want to vaccinate those countries to help people. Of course we do, because we don't want illness and, you know, that, that whole question. But equally, there's a greedy bit to it, isn't it? Say, look, if we don't help those countries, we will now suffer ourselves. And, and it's that mix of the two that always intrigues me. Well, you can call it greed or you can call it common good. You know, well, you, you can, can indeed call yeah. it having yeah. everything on the table, looking at all the evidence, and saying yeah. what well, is the wisest course of action for the common good. Exactly, was yeah. good for us and good for them. Well, no, it's more what the motivator is. That's what intrigues me. Yeah, yeah. How do I motivate the America or Europe to provide vaccines for the developing world? One motivator is common human decency. 
Yeah. We don't want people dying of this disease in their hordes. And that's great. Isn't that fantastic? The second motivator is, oh, we might be harmed if we don't. You know, so again, it's that, it's that kind of strange blend, isn't it, between the two? And which one of those two things, Luke, is set deepest in human genetics over the centuries and millenniums? <laughs> well, there's a great jewel. So if we knew the answer to that, we'd, we'd have an odd crack. <laughs> but um, I, we, I'd like to think our better, what's the word, our, our better angel, or whatever the word, you know, the, 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 the one that's more de- decency. I think that's the one we have to keep reminding people. And, and in fact, one thing I've learned through COVID as well, Jules, and, and, and this has been happening for, for decades in a way, there are a lot of decent people out there. Just this, this phrase, common decency, I quite like that phrase. I think the LGBTQ, the marriage referendum, people's basic mm. decency mm-hmm. came to the fore and said, look, this is ridiculous. Let's help people by you know, voting yes for this one. You know? So that was fantastic, I thought. You know? so, so you see evidence occasionally, Jules, you would agree human decency trumps everything else, doesn't it? You know, and, and I'm hoping that's the case with this. And I'm no reason to suspect it won't, by the way. Yeah. And maybe this pandemic is a wake-up, another wake-up call for us to say, look, we're on this planet together here, you know. Let's try and help each other and do our best by this. And then the next big elephant in the room is going to be climate change, let's face it. That, that, that's the next thing you have to consider. But uh, you know what I, mean? so I think, I think that, that, that sort of a sense of altruism, you might call it, and just sense of your fellow human beings you know, that, that, that absolutely is the focus here. And let's hope that begins to dominate more and more, I guess, is the way to put it. Um, I, I was going to end the conversation there, look, but then you, you talked about climate change. Yes. <laughs> and do, do you, so you've talked about collaboration. You've talked about us looking, you know, you know as human beings uh, beyond our own borders. Yeah. Are those the sort of things that are going to help us in the future with, with the next well, you know, climate change isn't the next biggest challenge. It's been a big challenge for decades at this point. Well, there's a great cartoon, Jules, of someone looking at a microscope, right? And he sees the little virus. Behind him is looming a massive elephant, climate change. You know? so, yeah. so, oh, I hope so. And I think, I think if, if you see what's happening in the world, I mean, the other thing I would say is this, the COVID business, the science that's been deployed there and the collaboration and the, the global will, let's put it that way, the international sort of a, coordination that we do see the opposite nationalism here and there we need the same thing against this climate crisis there's no question you know and thank goodness they've rejoined the paris climate accord from the us and the who i mean that's tremendous isn't it so, so in other words if ever there was anything that needs our next most pressing attention it is this climate change crisis because that you, will cause an awful lot of human suffering in all kinds of ways you know and, and again we're seeing it as we said yesterday on wall street wall street's turning green there was a big thing in financial times recently you know so let's hope that that's going to continue. And, and the good thing is, Jules, as well, if we put our heads together, if we use the best and brightest minds to crack COVID, which is what's happening, by the way, that can be deployed against climate change as well. And, and that's got to be part of this next phase of, 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 of this journey that we're on scientifically, I suppose, into climate change. Luke, it has been an absolute delight, as, as always. Um, your your enthusiasm and your intellect, which you uh, bring into everything around the Good Summit as well, we are deeply, deeply grateful for. Cannot wait to see what levels of collaboration we get up to over the next year yeah. or two with the Good Summit and exactly uh, help, helping to make the Good Summit a bit of a hub for some of these important conversations. Yeah. But for Definitely. now, um, thank you so, so much. Luke O'Neill, big cheers. Thank you, Jules. And let's look forward to the good summer. It's coming up. Yay! That's all here. All the best. This has been the Good Summit Podcast. Brought to you in conjunction with Forfi. It was produced by Lee McMahon with Eva McNulty for the Good Summit. 
Music was provided by the fabulous Ian Archer. Stay connected with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Good Summit and find out all you need to know on www.thegoodsummit.com and come back and join us again next time. Till then, go forth, do some good. Peace to you and to the world. world.